Kinging wave, Fox, Beard, Lock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons, and the afterlife. Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, Black Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot, Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Data's cat, Kempex cat, Q has had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. It is Thursday, January 26, 2023. It is 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That means we are live. That means you can pick up your phone right now and let your fingers do the walking and call Trek Talking at 646-668-2433. And if you're a fan of Star Trek Attack Wing or actually the Dominion um, Alliance uh, Wars in particular, you're definitely going to want to do that because we have with us live in the studio tonight, Josh Dirksen, who actually, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> designed all three of the games, the first one and the next two. We're going to be talking about the quickly Klingon expansion tonight, and uh, maybe we can get some information from Josh about the Romulan one. I don't know. We'll see. But our phone number here is 646-668-2433. We'll be live with Josh for about an hour, so start dialing and have your questions ready. But before we do that, though, we have a little bit of, of uh, pod work we have to do. First of all, I have to introduce you guys to my awesome Trek experts, and we'll start off with uh, Paul. And Paul is out in Portland. How you doing tonight, Paul? Hey, brother, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It is good to be back on the promenade after a few weeks stuck in the pattern buffer. <laughs> and you, so, you know, Paul, nice to be back. I hope, I hope that we don't have as many technical difficulties as we did without you last week. We had these giant golf ball-sized snowflakes falling up here in Rotland, and it was interfering with everything. I mean, I couldn't get the sound bites to play. They'd play 10 minutes after I played them. They'd play, it was crazy. So let's hope everything well, works usually, out. Usually, man, I'm the one who causes technical problems, is what I'm told. So <laughs> like, I'm amazed well, that they happened without my presence. So that's great. Oh, they did. There was gremlins everywhere. But, uh, you know, it's live radio. So when you're live. You always, you know, uh, you always charge through, man, no matter what happens. You are always ready to take it and go. go. The show must go on. That is your, that is your mantra. <laughs> so welcome back. <laughs> Glad to have you back. And Thanks, brother. Also from Portland as well, our very own Eric. How you doing tonight, Eric? Oh man, I am doing fantastic. I it has been so long since we've gotten to talk about Attack Wing on the podcast, and tonight is like drinking Attack Wing from a fire hose. It's so cool to have Josh back on the podcast. We're going to talk about Attack Wing, and then we're going to talk about more Attack Wing. I just couldn't be more uh, giddy about it, to tell you the truth. It is going to be glorious. And 
rounding out our trifecta from Portland. We have our very own David the Donut Guy. How you doing, David? I'm doing pretty well, pretty well. It's, uh, I can't wait to talk about attack wings. It's, it, did you bring enough donuts for everybody? Uh, no, sorry. Uh, the donut shop closes early over here now for some reason. I don't know what we're going to do with you. We're going to have to take away your moniker. You're not the donut guy anymore. No. A croissant guy. I think David's the home cooking guy. He's always cooking cooking something delicious. (laughs) He's the food guy. And uh, wrapping out my my trek spurts, we have Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. Still a little chilly in Vegas. We're still... Still not in our normal low 60s, but wow. as long as the wind, as long as the wind stopped, so I wouldn't mind more 40s in the morning instead of 30s. Oh man, 30s would be so awesome. That would be incredible. I could put on my shorts, open up the windows. 30s would be great. At any rate, so guys, we're going to be talking about Star Trek Attack Wing, uh, but first. There's one more thing I got to mention to you guys. Uh, we have weekend passes for AlienCon. That's right. I mention this every week. Um, I am going to say it again. Um, I have passes, weekend passes, and I want to give them to you. Absolutely, totally for free. And uh, Paul, how would somebody who's listening to this podcast, whether you're listening right now or Tuesday or Wednesday or any other day, um, until we announce that we have a winner, we don't have one. So you can take care of that anytime. And Paul, how would somebody get tickets to Alien Con if they wanted them? I knew there was going to be a question in there somewhere. I was I was on <laughs> bated breath. Well, what you would do, friends, is you would uh, decide what it is you want to say, or you could just be completely spontaneous about it. You would get yourself over to trektalking.com. Let me say that one more time, trektalking.com. And if you explore that website, which is your one-stop shopping portal for anything related to Star Trek and this podcast, you're going to see like a little microphone icon. And if you go on there, friends, you can click on that and record whatever kind of zany, highfalutin, nonsensical message you want. You can do the whole thing in Klingon you want. We don't care. Leave a message. And if that message reaches Uncle Jim's ears through his long, wavy manes of Klingon hair – He's going to send those tickets to you so that you can go to AlienCon. Jim, did I get that right? I think you got it right. And I have a little, a little promo for AlienCon that Eric was kind enough to put together for us, which I'm going to play for you guys just to, to water your mouth a little bit and make you want to go to trucktalking.com and leave us a message. Alien Con is back. Join us March 4th through 5th at the Pasadena Convention Center for a weekend of exploration and meet your favorite experts from ancient aliens, the secret of Skidwalker Ranch, the unexplained, and the proof is out there. Tickets at thealiencon.com. And when you go to trucktalking.com, you will see a sponsor page. And on that sponsor page, you will see the logo for Alien Con. Click on that. And you can see all the great guests, all the wonderful events that are going to be planned, and all the great things you can experience while you are there. But first, you've got to leave us a message and get yourself a pair of tickets. And along that vein, I want to say congratulations to Leslie Sawyer. 
because in honor of Sarah Mitch's birthday a few weeks ago, we had another free giveaway. I had some autographed pictures of Lieutenant Arian from season one of Star Trek Discovery that I wanted to give away. And it was simple. Go to trektalking.com, leave us a message and tell us why you want the picture and you get it. Leslie did that. She clicked on the microphone, recorded us a message, and I sent her an autographed picture. You can go to trektalking.com and you can see a picture of Leslie holding up her autographed picture. So congratulations to Leslie. And I'd love to see a picture of you there holding up a pair of passes to Alien Con. You know what to do. Go do it. All right, guys. Man, that's, that's a great that con too, man, isn't it? That's an awesome con. There's so much stuff there going so, on there. There is so yeah, much Yeah, I mean, going if you're a there. fan of like aliens and extraterrestrials and anything like that, yeah, I can't imagine missing this con. Eric Von Donneken's going to be there. I mean, it's yeah. just out, out of control. So this is his kind of historic opportunity, friends. If you're in that area, my goodness, make get a message. Yeah. Jim's giving these things away. I and and somebody somebody left us a left me a message, uh, but it was a two minute blank message. Um, so if, if <laughs> whoever it was rehearsal, that, Jim, it was just a rehearsal. Go back and re-record it because uh, I got the message and it was blank, and so I can't send you tickets because I don't know who you are. So uh, go try it again. Um, so don't and, leave and, the message in. Uh, don't leave it in interpretive dance, is what Jim is saying. Right. right? We act, we actually need to be able to hear your words. We can't see what you're doing there. We'd love in to. your in your quarters, oh, your shuttlecraft, wherever you may be, we we can imagine it, but we'd really rather hear from you. That's right. So call, you know, go back and re-record your message, and you you can get a pair of tickets for Alien Con. I'd love to give them to you, and they're digital too. So all I do is just boop to your email, and it's that simple. So please go and do that. We would love to hear. And then after you go to the convention, you can call back the podcast and tell us all about it. That would be even better. All right. So with all of that out of the way, um, are you guys ready to talk about some uh, Attack Wing Alliance in particular? Yes, please. Are we ready to, are we ready to dive yes. in? All right, guys, the phone lines are open, and we have Josh on the line with us. How are you doing tonight, Josh? Welcome to the show. Hey, good to be back. Thanks for having it's, me. It's been a while, hasn't it? Now, uh, before we get started. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I wanted to ask a couple of questions. Uh, so... This this new one, this Klingon expansion, is is compatible with the first one that came out, right? Absolutely, it is designed to be a part two, and it is in fact labeled as such. Now, if I haven't if I haven't completed part one or I don't have part one, can I still pick up part two and play it? Yes, uh, you'll be able to start the campaign from. The, the beginning of part two, functionally, it's, we, we made nine acts overall, three acts in each box. You can start at act four, which is the beginning of the second box. Um, the only caveat being this set does not have dice, damage deck, or maneuver templates so that we could put a little bit of extra other stuff in the box. So you'll need a standard attack wing core set or you'll need alliance part one for those attack wing components. Okay, excellent. Excellent. That's that's totally cool. And this particular set has, uh, and I saw the video, so that has a Vorcha, a Bird of Prey, a uh, two Cardassian ships, and and a and a battleship, right? If I remember. 
Yeah, the Jem'Hadar battle cruiser. Yeah, that's the middle size yeah. one, not the big, big Jem'Hadar ship. Right. And you also included the standard Star Trek attack wing dial, so you can use these in your regular games. Yeah, that's right. Correctly. This was something that um, players asked about when the first Alliance box came out, because those Dominion ships were not playable in standard attack wing, which was kind of frustrating for people because they were relatively out of print. So this time around, we said, well, hey, it doesn't take too much more like cost-wise to stick a punch board in there with the necessary bits. Let's do it. That was that is cool, and you know I I want to say um, I was running Attack Wing OP events for a couple of years at a local game store, and it was great. But I right honestly on. got a little bit a little bit tired of the same thing every month. Blow each other up. Let's see who can put together the craziest deck and kill each other. And so they came out with a Borg cube, and the Borg game was a was a cooperative game, and I would play that. And everybody loved it, and we had a great time. Then Alliance, well, then COVID came. Then Alliance came. And I got to say, in my opinion, I feel that Alliance is the, is the future of Attack Wing because I think the cooperative gameplay is more engaging and just more, more enjoyable than just let me go out and kill this other player. So I'm really, really excited for the cooperative gameplay and the style of Alliance. I think it's, it's phenomenal. Right on. Yeah. I think a lot of people have similar nostalgic memories about that board uh, organized play kit. I've heard a lot of stories of people onboarding their otherwise wouldn't be gamer friends into attack wing by virtue of getting them to play together and really excited to be able to make something that kind of enables that. Right. Yeah, because the one thing about Star Trek is Star Trek is a, is a cooperative uh, universe. The Federation is cooperative. And, you know, in Alliance, that's what you do. You're cooperating with your fellow players instead of just trying to kill them. So I really I – Yeah, really it's like a good it. setting, really, good, good mix. It, it really is. It gets you talking. It gets you communicating <clears throat> and planning. And it's, it's a lot of fun. So kudos on coming up with that. And this Klingon expansion – I'm really excited for being a Klingon at heart myself. But at any rate, I don't want to take up all of your time. So, Eric, did you have any questions or comments for Josh? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great to have you back on, Josh. And uh, thanks very much. And thanks for doing that unboxing video. I know I had a good time kind of checking that out and seeing what we could see from that. Um, I did have a couple questions. It looked like there were quite a few ship cards that you, you all sort of leafed through there. Um, and I know that these ships come with dials. Are there unique named ships in this pack or are they all sort of um, generic class ships? Uh, they would all be generic ships. So you get the, you're going to get the uh, dials and base ships for the Klingon ships regardless because those are the player ships and they don't need any of the fancy AI stuff on them. But the Jem'Hadar ships this time around get, uh, I think they are generic skill one captains even in the box, which I'm surprised made it to the final printing. Um, but there are, because you don't really need them, but there are dials and the base chips are double-sided. So you can play them either with the AI grids on the one side or the, the standard attack wing kind of look and feel on the back. 
Excellent. Yeah, that's super cool. I love the double-sided grid there. So whereas normally you'd have kind of the unique on one side and the generic on the other side, you've got the generic on one side and the AI version on the other side. So that that seems like a really good way to use that double-sided um, Yeah, the, and I, the elites being on the back, we just found that nobody was using them. Yeah. Like in playtesting, we were just like, oh, that's really annoying to have to flip the base shit. I think we can probably remember that number four is the ace. Let's just not bother. Yeah, and plus you've got the the load out, yeah, and you've got the loadout cards and everything that sort of help remind you and whatnot anyway. So, uh, yeah, don't need to double dip there. Very cool. Um, I know that you were able to kind of show us, well, sort of there was a little sneak in there showing us that, you know, as part of the continuation here, we've got some new Federation cards in our Part 2 that we can use on our captains that have made it through Part 1, right? Yeah, so there's there's kind of uh, three three main options for playing this box. You can start fresh with brand new Klingon captains if you and you could do this whether you have box one or not. Uh, and they start off at uh, I think captain skill four, something like that, higher higher than you would in the first game because it's assumed they come in at that point in your progression. Mm-hmm. You can start new Federation captains at skill four if you have box one. That's also possible. Uh, or if you've played box one through its completion, you can also bring those characters forward and keep upgrading them. And they'll be a little bit underpowered in terms of the cards they have access to, maybe, depending on how well you did, obviously. Um, but you can also uh, start bolstering them with some new stuff, and they'll probably be higher captain skill, which is its own advantage in the campaign's progression. Yeah, especially as those elites get better and better, uh, that higher captain skill becomes more and more important. Oh, and that is absolutely true here. There are some, I think in this box, the ace enemies go up to like skill seven or eight. So you can Ooh. really start focusing on that if you want to get the drop on them. Uh, well, as David will tell you, uh, when we play attack wing with each other, I'm always looking for that like nine to 12 captain skill range. So <laughs> I'm definitely a guy who likes oh, you, you must really like Khan then. Uh, I do. He's one of the best, right? You throw an admiral on Khan, yeah. and you're you're always the best, no matter what. Um, it, so it looks like they went back to some really uh, good quality on the cards here, too. Obviously, I haven't put one in my fingers and felt it. Uh, I don't know if you've felt any of the newer cards from any of these new faction packs or not, but they kind of went back to that thicker stock, and it sounds like that's what you guys were saying on the video, too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when we finished boxes... Uh, well, actually, for the, the original Alliance box, because it was also a, a smaller step up in quality quality. But when we finished that box, I, I just had one request of, of WizKids, and I said, look, if you're, you know, you're going to print this, I'd, I'd like some nicer cards, preferably with a less obvious linen finish. And I'm really happy that they were able to do that. Yeah, that linen finish can be a little distracting, uh, and I just can't wait to see these new cards because I know that WizKids kind of went through that that phase where all of their cards looked like that a little bit. Now they've kind of worked their way back out of it and gone back to the, the all glossy cards again. So uh, super happy that this contains that. Uh, you uh, also, part, of, part of that is yeah, actually that they changed the manufacturers. Interesting. So is this, that's an interesting question. So is your game here manufactured in the same place that, for example, the flashbacks are? I believe that's the case now. I mean, I don't know for sure. I'm just going off what uh, they've, they've told me in the past. But sure. uh, at one point, and this is part of why there was such a long 
gap between uh, the initial Alliance box one and future Alliance content and all the rest is because uh, I know that they were moving stuff between manufacturers and they had some issues getting their, their plastics tooling reset. Um, I'm obviously I'm not really an official source on that, but this is just sure. what I was told. Sure. 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 Yeah. Anyway, that um, seems to all be behind them and I think everything is nice, nice and smooth going forward. Yeah. I mean, the set looks beautiful. I personally am a big fan of those metallic paint jobs, uh, which it looks like uh, this pack also has. I loved it when yep. that first Dominion set came out. I loved the way the, the purple looks on them, <laughs> honestly. Uh, yeah. And then the, you know, sharp. Those, they look really neat. Right. And honestly, if you're, uh, you don't need to paint these at all, but, if you take the existing scheme that these things come with and you just do a little dry brush on them, um, it really starts to highlight some of those uh, deeper parts of the, the models and stuff and just makes them look really slick. So um, I, I'm digging on the fact that we've got some good quality models that come in this box as well. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I don't want to take up all your time because I want Charles and David to also have a shot, but uh, what I will ask, and we were chatting just a little bit uh, before the podcast about, you know, timeline of uh, how long how long you it's been since you sort of first pitched this game and then were able to get it into the into the public's eye, and then, you know, now it's just continuing on, and then we've got a future part three coming on. I think that's all extremely exciting, and I know that we're all uh, waiting for all those future stuff to come out. But as of right now, we're talking about this Klingon pack. So can you tell us anything more about what's inside this pack specifically? We, we sort of got a little shot of, you know, some leafed through cards, and you gave us one really cool spoiler that was uh, a, allowed you to – Basically, if you get a crit dealt to you, you get to do a crit back to your opponent, even if they have shields, a crit to their hull. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah so, sometimes yeah. Uh, that, that ability can sometimes finish off an AI ship before it, it gets really, or, you know, the first one in a volley or something like that. You can really even the odds a bit before you even get to shooting back or whatever. It's especially good against the elite. Uh, AI ships, if they shoot before you and you get critically damaged, you can often soften them up for the rest of your teammates. I love it. What is your favorite card in the pack? Do you have one? Oh, that's really tough. There, I got to say there are some, some real bangers in this one. Uh, hmm. I'm just going to leaf through the ones I've got here real quickly. Uh, probably forward battery, which is a Vorcha only upgrade, if I recall. Um, yeah, Vorcha or Negbar class only. And it's a five-cost weapon upgrade that is limited to once per ship. But it is when you are declared the target of an attack, if the attacking ship is in your forward firing arc, you get to roll an attack die. On a hit or critical hit, you deal one damage to the attacking ship before it attacks you. Thanks. Nice. So this is literally like, just if, if you're going to build a Vorcha in, in this box, one of the ways you can spec it out is just as the party tank. Like you're literally going to park in front, all weapons suppressing fire forward, anything that wanders into your arc or shoots at you, you're going to lay the hurt on in return. And um, there are also, there's a card that lets you share target locks with other ships. You can have two target locks and you can uh, let one of your allies borrow one. Oh. All those together, you can make a really cool little tanky command Klingon ship, which I think is a different feel 
than you maybe have been able to do in the past. Yeah, typically you're living by the seat of your pants on those cloak dice, uh, and it's nice to have whatever help you can for you know to support those, since uh, those are anything but guaranteed. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's also a hull upgrade. So a lot of the a lot of the cards in Alliance Box One were really boilerplate stuff for Federation, like just just like a utility toolbox of like, oh, I want to be more defensive or I want to be more maneuverable or all that stuff. Um, and really, we kind of looked at the card list for the first box and said, Klingons probably want a bunch of this stuff too, just because we like the way those combos fit together. And then it was just a question of sort of tweaking all the individual cards so that there were good kind of upgrade paths throughout your whole little career as a Klingon captain. Oh, that's cool because it weaves in more of that story element. And, you know, I must say that uh, I love the kind of mixture of having a character that you care about and then also laying attack wing on top of that. It's not quite a role-playing game, but, you know, if you get together with your friends and you're rapping about the Klingons while you're playing, it can really become part of the story. Absolutely. Yeah, the light RPG element is one of my favorite parts of wargaming, and I'm especially drawn to games with campaign modes for that reason. Yeah. That's what I play, so it's cool that I get to design them. Well, it is so cool, and you have designed some of the best. I mean, this one growing out of, if I remember right, uh, the Heroes of the Aturi cluster stuff that you did way back in the day for for X-Wing, right? Yeah, absolutely. That That was the beginning of it. Yeah, uh, and so, you know, thankfully we, we ported you over to Star Trek here and <laughs> got your skills working in in this universe. There you go. I, uh, before I let you go uh, on to our next host, I will just say I will encourage you to check out um, that new Ships of the Line pack that came out if you have not yet because that one actually comes with a campaign in it that you can play right with the box. So it's a faction pack and a campaign thing all in one, which is pretty cool. So uh, enjoy that if you haven't checked it out yet. If I remember correctly, some of the ships in that box are also playable or upgradable too in your Alliance campaign, right? That's a Federation set? That is the Federation set, yeah. So we've got a uh, we've got a Kira class in here. We've got the um, Saber class, um, the the Sovereign class, and the Prometheus class. I don't. You don't have Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Is Prometheus part of uh, Dominion? Uh, uh, part of Alliance? I can't remember. <laughs> it's it's playable if you get the Captain Skill Eight, which I think is too much of an endeavor in the first box. Yeah. But it is listed among the upgrade paths. And you could, in theory, port forward a Federation captain and get them all the way promoted to a Prometheus. That's possible. Well, that ship is just, uh, I love that ship. The all-white maneuver dial just uh, is amazing. Uh, So, yeah, (laughs) maybe I'll try to get there in box number two here. We'll see. Um, Thank you, Josh. Let me... Uh, or three, yeah, depending on how long it takes, right? <laughs> to get all the way to eight, it probably is going to take till three. Um, thank you for letting me bother you with a bunch of questions here. I'm going to pass you right along to my good friend David, and I will say that David and I are both um, uh, big Attack Wing fans, and we play quite a bit of Attack Wing with one another. So uh, we will be playing this particular game together, right, David? Oh, yeah, we we got a long history of... Uh... Making me into a pink shirt. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I got a I got a really interesting question that Jim brought up earlier. Um, you mentioned uh, Jim mentioned something about like 
the whole uh, dials of the Jem'Hadar ships in the first part of the game not having dials or something like that. And um, I was curious, yep. did Box 2 have the dials for the Jem'Hadar attack ships? Uh, no. No, just for the models that are included in the box. We didn't actually have enough punch ah. board left to go back and do the original first box. So, unfortunately, oh, those okay. will still be dialless forever. Uh, okay, that's cool. I, just, I was a little confused about that question if I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> but, yeah, cool. Um, so, um, my next question would be that um, they have a, a combination of Lions and the original Attack Wing game. Uh, is there any other ships that can be added, like, say, Ferengi ships or Kazons, if somebody wanted to mix it up a bit? Well, mechanically, there's no reason you can't play whatever you like, although I will say all of the uh, upgrade cards for Alliance were specifically designed at a very carefully balanced power level so that there was nothing mm -hmm. kind of too crazy in there. Uh, you probably will find you can play a lot of those other ships if you just want to add them in. There's obviously nothing stopping you mechanically. It's all based on Star Trek Attack Wing. All the underlying system is, is there and, and works. If you specifically want to play stuff that um, you know, is fully supported by Alliance with upgrade cards that are designed to work with them, uh, the other supported Klingon ships are, of course, the Negvar. And then if you want to make things hard on yourself, you can play a Burel or a, a, a Katinga class battlecruiser. But really the, the Cavort class Bird of Prey in there and the Vorcha attack ship in there are pretty well equipped to take you through. Hmm. Okay. They're just to make it harder to get up in levels, I guess. Yeah, you can't really <laughs> unlock the Negvar until close to the end of your captain's career because it is the Klingon flagship, right? Yeah. <laughs> cool. That's okay. Um, let's the best ship anyway. anyway. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite. <laughs> so, um, and you will be relying be on your kind... evade dice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, are there going to be any kind of... Uh, uh, future Alliance games, like is there going to be a part four or five? So I can tell you for the sake of the Dominion War trilogy, the scenarios follow the plot line of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And the third box that is Romulan-centric, uh, the last scenario in that box is actually a two-parter. You play back-to-back, -back, and it is the based on the finale episode of Deep Space Nine, the uh, uh, what is it called? I can't remember now off the top of my head. But what it's we the, the two-parter finale. Oh, um, What You Leave Behind? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yep, The Invasion of Cardassia. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so here's here's a... I know this is probably going to be maybe part three uh, box, but um, in that particular episode, the Cardassians betrayed the Dominion. Is that part of the scenario? Yes, there are no Cardassian enemies. Uh, well, we're, we're tipping our hand a little bit for Box 3 here, but yes, there is a point in Box 3 where you stop encountering Cardassian enemies and you're actually facing off against uh, the Breen alongside the Dominion instead. Oh, yeah. Nice. So Box 3, uh, I, think, I think they've announced roughly what's in it, but basically it's, it's got two uh, Dedericks-class warbirds and it's got the Dominion battleship, the really big one, um, same sculpt as ever, but it's the, the biggest of the Gemhadar ships. 
and it's got two Breen cruisers as well. So they are they show up in a bunch of those scenarios and are a real pain to deal with. Ah, uh, of course. Cool. So they're all basically a bunch of AI ships. Yep. Nice. Wow. Cool. Um, let's see here. Um, is there any favorite cards in the part three that you wanted to share? <laughs> I know we're talking about part two, but I just I just wanted to find out if there's like anything that we should uh, you know. <laughs> so part three, uh, so part two, box two has uh, I believe it's 24 Klingon upgrade cards. A couple of them are duplicates, but they're mostly unique. And they're across all the different types, so crew, weapons, systems, um, and, and metals. Uh, there are 24 Klingon cards, and there are four new Federation cards to get your, give your Federation captains some higher level stuff to do. They're generally more expensive and more powerful. Uh, because by the time you finish, if you've played the first two boxes and you get into the third box, you can keep carrying forward those captains. So if you're a Klingon captain who joined up in the middle of the war and you're going to ride it out all the way to the end of the campaign, you're probably pushing captain skill seven or eight by the start of the third box anyway. And there are some good higher level tricks for you available at that point. So box three also has a selection of Romulan cards. I think it's 24, but I'm not sure offhand. Um, And then I think four or five Klingon cards to carry forward again for your Klingon captains who have, uh, maybe built, started building up specific combos from box two that they want to take to the next level for the finale. And you will, you will need that help. Those last missions in that last box can be pretty uh, punishing. Wow. That sounds amazing. Cool. It sounds really fun. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Um, I think that's pretty much all for my questions. I think I'm going to pass it on to Charles. Well, no real questions to throw out. Now you kind of gotten all the questions answered. I am looking forward. I, didn't really I can't get believe that's true. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to really play a whole lot of the first box only because of COVID issues. But I know yep. I'd like to get it back on the table and start playing it again. We did have fun with it one evening of taking a few – Star Trek club fans and making them their own captain into jumping into that uh, game. And I think they definitely right enjoyed it. And I'd like to see, try to do that again sometime with a few club members. Uh, let's, okay, you're Star Trek fans. Let's see you get up there and actually fly your own ship. Yep. See how tough it is in the captain's chair. Exactly. Yeah, and speaking of being in the, in the captain's chair, Josh, I mean, as a game designer, you know, Star Trek uh, Attack Wing Alliance here is obviously not the only game that you work on. Um, what is it about designing games that you really enjoy? And how does this uh, particular game sort of help fulfill some of that for you? Uh, I think for me, the magic is really when I see games acting as a really well-defined space that people can kind of use to get together. Like I, I know a lot of people who are a little bit socially awkward and for them, gaming is an excellent outlet, but I just see games. Like I see the power that games have to bring people together from, you know, different backgrounds 
right? Or and create this shared interest or shared space that, um, you know, everyone can participate in. So I really just like the community building aspect of it. And especially mm-hmm. I feel like campaign games are really good for that because you, you know, you start playing a game like this and over time you, you know, show up to the same game store or hang out with the same group of friends long enough and it becomes a shared story that you can bond over in a way that kind of is like nothing else. And for me, getting, you know, being able to create those experiences, to design them so that other people can have those, those moments is really special for me. Yeah, it's nice to be the facilitator of such a, a magical thing that is like a little out of your control once you release it into the world, but you know that it's out there doing work for you. Yeah, that's a really good way to conceptualize it. Somebody, I was, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody at one point, and they were like, oh, I think they were trying. I forget what they were trying to get me to do, and they were like, "Oh, that's not very fun." And I just said, "Well, listen, I don't have to be fun. I design the fun." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I can imagine uh, different game designers uh, have different takes on that too. We want to make sure we get oh, Paul sure. a shot, uh, give Paul a shot at you too. So, uh, Paul, let's pass the mic over to you, Ben. All right, Josh. I got it. Well, we got out of the out of the box here, man. Are you the same Josh Dirksen, number thirty-three, who played forward for the Bellarmine Knights? <laughs> no, I don't think you're so. a different Josh. You're also Canadian. Okay, I think so. I'm not a hundred percent, but I'm like uh, uh, I can't. Half I can tell to... you for sure. <laughs> uh, I, I I can I can tell you for sure that I have not played in that position or in that sport. Uh, okay. But I do know that there is a Canadian basketball player named Josh Dirksen, same spelling and everything. Yeah, and I thought maybe that was you. So I wasn't positive, man. So that's <laughs> my, my icebreaker, man. But, uh, again, I kind of come into that's this fun uh, conversation, conversation with a lot less uh, immediate gameplay than my, my colleagues here, especially Eric, who I think uh, – pretty sure has a room in his house that is wallpapered with attack win cards. I'm almost positive because he's got, <laughs> he's got more minutia. He can go like, oh, you mean the Encintendi attack win card? Why, sure. Let me tell you all about that. And he's, <laughs> oh, I'm he's, just waiting for that one. <laughs> he's got everything. I mean, it's, it's crazy. But So I want to go beyond the game, though, just real for a couple seconds, Absolutely. if you don't mind, Josh, is like, tell me um, – do you remember for yourself like a gateway moment where you realized that like Star Trek was going to be a thing that you were never going to shake off? Was there a particular episode of a particular part of the franchise that was your just like never going back moment? So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to date myself here a little bit. Uh, I remember as a kid when the finale for Star Trek next generation, all good things, uh, was aired on the Jumbotron at, in Toronto's Skydome Sports Stadium. Cool. And I remember this being like the TV event when I was a kid. And I didn't really watch Next Generation. That was really more my parents' show. But I used to watch uh, episodes, reruns, of course, of the original series on like Saturday morning uh, TV. I think Space Network in Canada used to air it. They would just do like a Saturday morning uh, toss marathon. I remember watching that pretty regularly. Between uh, Toss and the animated series, which I also watched a lot of as a kid, uh, it was it was up there. It was in that constellation. And I was a bigger Trek fan. Uh, I was introduced to Trek and was a Trek fan before I was a Star Wars fan. I remember also as a kid 
uh, my parents, I came into the room one day and uh, they had a new hope on TV. I guess it was just airing on the whatever movie channel or whatever. And I was like, Oh, what the heck is this? Where's Star Trek? (laughs) Oh, this is weird. Who are these people? What are they doing? And of course it was like halfway through the movie at this point. So it's the, they're on the death star and, it's a little bit weird, a little bit disorienting to come into that film at that point. But hey, I was You're so like, wait a minute, those aren't phasers. The the, uh, those aren't phasers or communicators. What's going on here? <laughs> Why yeah, are they saying more, um, <laughs> Yep. But uh, by, by the time we got to the end of A New Hope with the uh, the space battle over the Death Star, I was I was all into Star Wars. But my Star Trek beginnings were way before that. That's great, man. That's great. Um, how are you enjoying like the the new era? Uh, I call it the Paramount Plus era with like Discovery and Strange <laughs> New Worlds. I mean, it's like a it's a it's a cornucopia of new Star Trek. Uh, you know, something for everybody. Uh, are, are there particular <laughs> arms of that uh, creativity that you really are drawn to that you're liking? So I've I've kept up with all of it. I've watched. Uh, I'm caught up on Picard. I think I'm caught up on Discovery. Got four seasons of Discovery now, if I recall. Yep. Um, and what three seasons of Lower Decks? I think I'm caught up on that too. That sounds right. So. And one yeah, season. Yeah. Of uh, been, yeah. One oh, yeah, season I've seen of that as well. <laughs> I always forget that exists because it's somewhat strange and somewhat hard to find and watch. But no, my wife is a big Trek fan, so we watched them all. Um, I find Picard a little bit uneven, but not bad kind of nice to check in with Jean-Luc, but yeah, the story is not great. Second season, better than the first, I think. Uh, Lower Decks, I would say, is probably my favorite Trek. I think it's among the best Trek that's ever been written. Just for how much it gets done in 20 minutes, I'm always just astounded. <laughs> and it's, it's just like a fun, goofy romp with a ton of like deep cuts. You're like, oh, that's a that's a that that was mentioned in this one episode 30 years ago. Like, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome for that. Um, so really love Lower Decks. And I find all the characters are great. The one that was kind of strange for me was Discovery. And I, I imagine I'm not alone in this. But Discovery Season 1 was really not the Star Trek we, we knew and loved. And I think it kind of set off on the wrong foot in some ways, um, the kind of Paramount Plus era. But uh, I, Season 1 has its moments. And I like the Mirror Universe arc. Um but I really like where it goes kind of after season two. Like obviously Pike's great and strange new worlds. Um, actually that's the only one I'm not cut up on. I forgot entirely about strange new worlds, but uh, Pike is great. Love season two, but really, really like discovery seasons three and four. I think it's a really fresh way to do Trek that, uh, seems like a fitting continuation of the brand. Excellent, man. Well, I think uh, when you get caught up with Strange New Worlds, I, I predict you're going to really enjoy it. It's it's definitely. Uh, I think so. It's got Anson Mount. Be hard not yeah, to. Yeah, he does a great oh, job. God, yes. they, they, there's some very clever writing on that show. Um, you know, they do. You were talking about the writing on uh, on uh, Lower Decks, and they do some great. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some really clever, thoughtful writing going on in the new show. So I'm super uh, optimistic that they'll give us a, a few good. Uh, entertaining years. So I think you really enjoy checking it out and everything. But yep. uh, thank you uh, for letting me just ask a few questions and kind of pick your brain a little bit here to learn more about the, the real Josh, if you will. So um, Absolutely. I'm looking forward I'll, I'll to... I'll drop one more little 
Please. I'll drop one more little tidbit that I don't know. Uh, it's probably not on anyone's radar because I don't think it's been officially announced, but I got very into Star Trek Discovery Season 1 uh, specifically because there is a board game that I worked on. What? That is based on Star what? Trek Discovery. What? Hold the phone. <laughs> what is this, Josh? I'm, I'm it's, quickly it's not, Googling. It's not Star Trek Alliance. It's something else. What? Oh, I don't This is something that's been released? Not out yet. I don't what? even think it's announced yet. But it's well, probably coming I, later this year. I feel like I, I kind of keep up uh, with the heartbeat of, of game. You're not talking about a video. You're talking about a board game, right? I am talking about a board game. Uh, and that and I feel like I have my finger on the pulse and I have heard nothing. Mm. Is That's pretty good okay. spoiler, Josh. <laughs> Uh, I want to say, could you tell us more? But you probably can't. But that sounds amazing. Uh, I, will, wow. I will just tell you what's called Star Trek Black Alert. Oh, sweet. Oh, okay. Excellent. Oh, <laughs> you know, That's I'm, I'm staring right now at my Captain Lorca autograph on my wall, and it says, To Jim, Black Alert. Jason, I hear so, Nice. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> wow. That's a great name, man. And you way to way to you know drop something right out here on the uh, uh, on the show to, oh, to so cool. get everyone titillated because we're all like, I don't think anyone's heard of that. So that's a great I reveal, so, brother. Really. Thank you so much. And do you have a sense of when will that be? Twenty three this year that we'll be uh, getting our mitts on that. I honestly couldn't tell you. I just know that my involvement with it is done. There is a finished game that exists that is somewhere in the pipeline. Sweet. Very cool. cool. Well, I think you've got some eager beavers here. (laughs) Take my money. Scouring scouring the search engines to see what we can learn, man. But uh, I hope you'll uh, ping us and let us know as soon as there's uh, a little bit more official uh, notice so we can get in there on the ground floor and uh, learn all about it. Super exciting. And uh, I just love that you shared the... your personal opinions about, uh, you know, influences and parts of the franchise that you really like, man. So thanks for being so open and, uh, and uh, talking with us like that. It's really great and uh, excited to get over to Eric's house and actually play these games uh, for real uh, when we get time. So that'll be a lot of fun, big discovery for me. So thanks, brother. Thanks. Thanks for some great questions. Well, Josh, I, I got to, just before we wrap things up, I want to ask you, uh, can you tell us, about any of the other Klingon cards in there that uh, might be worth mentioning? Uh, I'm sure a lot of them are worth mentioning. Let me see if I can find a gem for you here. Yeah. (laughs) Find me a good one. (laughs) Something really juicy. All right. How about the the generic Klingon helmsman who comes in this set? Because there was a really powerful generic Federation helmsman in Alliance Box 1. And we looked at them and we said, ah, It'd be great if the Klingons had some generic crew. And all of them, again, are generic and are designed to be uh, powerful abilities that you can kind of use throughout the course of each mission rather than just a lot of those really powerful single-use and flip effects. There's a lot of these ongoing powerful effects. So this is uh, kind of in the mid-range here, but a two-point Klingon crew, just Klingon helmsman, after the ship performs a green or white maneuver, during the execute maneuver step. Uh, If you don't overlap a ship or obstacle, you can disable this card to immediately perform any one-speed maneuver from this ship's dial. 
Nice. Wow. Oh, that's so that'd nice. Be cool. So this guy. Oh, you could do. You want to like... put the hammer down and intercept that objective, or you got to yeah. you got to run away from those Jem'Hadar? Hey, he's your man. Wow. Or you could do two now greens. Now he's a disable. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You can do two greens. Two and greens and get rid of two disable, Ox powers. Oh, I love it. Yes, you can. And because he's a disable, if you're not doing anything else, and you're just like, I don't need the battle stations this turn. I don't need to evade. We're cloaked. Who cares? You can do a one-speed maneuver and use your action immediately following it to remove his disable and do him next turn. Nice. So it gives you a lot more flexibility in how your ships maneuver, and you're going to need it for some of the hit-and-run missions that the Klingons are tasked with in Box 2. Now, Josh, in, in uh, I believe it was Kim Peck's Battle Cruiser that came out in the Klingon Federation pack. Uh, that was the only one of the only ways for Klingons to get battle stations to use when they were cloaked. Is there any way for Klingons yep. to gain that battle station advantage in this game to help with the cloak? Hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there are. Excellent. It was something we thought a lot about because, it, like, yeah, it's a thing that they can't normally get, right? Right. So, let's see. <clears throat> We've got Disruptor Overcharge, which isn't necessarily a battle station's advantage, but can help in a similar way, which is uh, when attacking with this ship's primary weapon at range one or two, if your attack roll includes at least one critical hit, you can add a hit result to the total. Nice. And that's a generic three-cost weapon. So just like, hey, who needs to convert battle stations when we can just add a hit? Yeah. And that could oh. be really scary. You can get the Bird of Prey really splattering the regular Jem'Hadar attack fighters if you do if you roll well. It's not uncommon for that guy to pop out of cloak and just utterly obliterate a five-hull or even an elite Jem'Hadar battle uh, or attack ship sometimes with that kind of stuff. We've also got uh, some honor-themed stuff happening. There's a two-point Klingon talent, which, if I recall, is Klingon captain only. Um, but it's when attacking a ship with equal or higher captain skill, change one battle station to a crit. Wow. Nice. That's good automatic conversion. That's sweet. But they have to be equal or higher skill, so you can't be dishonorable and pick off the lowling AI ships right. with it. You have to go for right. the elites. To to really be worth it. Bat list to bat list. All right. Yep. I like uh, that. If I recall, there's also one. Hmm. Oh, we've got a we've got a ramming focused Klingon card for the uh, <laughs> the Klingons. It's called Strafing Run. The three point talent, but you can only put it on a Cavort or Burel ship. So you've got to put it on the smaller, more maneuverable Klingon vessels. And this is an execute maneuver step. If your ship's base or maneuver template overlapped an opposing ship, roll an attack die. On a hit or critical hit, the opposing ship suffers a damage. Nice. Because you're so fragile as a smaller Klingon ship, you get some economy. You know, if you you are unlucky enough to bump an enemy ship, hey, there's a 50-50 chance they're going to take some damage for the insult. That sounds so right. I love it. Um, there's so one many more I've got to find so I can read it. Yeah. I love the, I love the Kling, it, it, I love the Klingon. It, it, they feel very Klingon-ish. Yeah, we tried really hard to get that theme to kind of carry through. Yes, yeah, so far they 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 feel like Klingon tactics. 
or got something evasive that, like, maneuvers. works for ramming speed, you know? <laughs> yep. Well, and here's the thing. Because we were designing this campaign with the, the kind of knowledge up front of, like, hey, we're going to do Federation first, then we're going to do Klingon, then we're going to do Romulan, we wanted to make sure that each of those factions had a distinct identity within the cards within Alliance, so that when you build a fleet of player ships, like if you're going to play a four-player version of the campaign, play it all the way through, uh, you're going to find that each of the factions naturally settles into certain roles, and they complement each other in really nice ways. Like the Klingons are very punchy, but they're also a little bit fragile, and there are a lot of Federation abilities, especially some of the later ones you unlock, which allow for token sharing. So, hey, the Federation ship can produce two battle stations, and the Klingon ship can 401. Mm-hmm. Or, hey, the Federation ship is so focused on doing battle station stuff, that Klingon Vorcha that's got the double target locks, oh, hey, I can borrow one of those. So working together as a team in Alliance, they're actually better than the sum of their parts. Wow, I like that's, that. That's really interesting. That sounds so cool. That does sound awesome. And I think my, wow. my bread and butter uh, Kuvort slash B-Rel go-to in Alliance from this box is actually the generic operations officer. It's, uh, it's got, the artwork is Alexander from one of the episodes, but it's uh, a four-point generic Klingon crew. If equipped to a Kuvort or B-Rel class ship, add one to the ship's defense value. That's just flat-up bonus. Your, nice. your B-Rel or Kuvort is just more agile. And then when defending, you can convert one battle station to an evade. Perfect. That's exactly what they just need. period, all the time. Yep. Four, four points. Is that only like, one hey, per ship? Cloaked? That's a lifesaver. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Is that yeah. only a one per ship? Yep. Whoa. Yeah, one so, per ship. So, Josh, we've talked about the Klingons. We've talked about the Dominion War. But I have a, I have a question a little bit different. So are you are you planning on doing anything with Deep Space Nine since Deep Space Nine was the centerpiece of the Dominion War and we have a Deep Space Nine model which is phenomenal but it's very weak. It's not a very powerful um, mm. play piece in the game and uh, the Klingon fleet did attack Deep Space Nine and it, it held its own. Are there any plans to do anything involving Deep Space Nine in a future Dominion War expansion? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Kling- Klingon attack against Deep Space Nine is before we meet the Dominion in mm-hmm. yeah. the series. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's season three or something, isn't it? Season two it or is. three? It's at Wait the end of season three. Yep. Season four. Yeah, it's the crossover. Yeah, it's three to four. Yeah, it's a crossover thing. Yeah. So that uh, that particular event is a little bit before the chronology of the campaign, because box two with the introduction of the Klingons kicks off in, look at the back cover of the book and get my year right, 2373. So the Dominion has just come through the wormhole and is allied with Cardassia. Mm-hmm. I think that's the beginning of season five or end of season five. I forget. It's one of the two parters. Yeah. Yeah, I think it had yeah. something to do with the clean on wanting to find the translings or something like that. And they, yeah. Yeah, because Martok yeah. was originally. So changed. when we come in at this point, the Klingons have already started their war with Cardassia and are siding with the Federation to yep. form the alliance properly. 
So all the scenarios but, in this this book pick up from there, and they end with um. They end with. So the first the first scenario is called By Inferno's Light, which I believe is actually that two parter. And then, or it's it's in that it's in that story arc. The finale episode is called The Invasion of Beta Zed, which, if you'll recall, is uh, around the time the Romulans get involved in the war. I think it's mentioned mentioned canonically uh, just before in the Pale Moonlight or just after. I can't remember. Wow. Well, we got some great stuff, and I hope that Alliance keeps on going. I mean, we got... We have Wolf three five nine. We got the Klingon Civil War. <laughs> we have the Romulan Wars. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to draw from here. Still, oh, uh, there's no the shortage domain. of stuff in the setting for sure. No, absolutely not. I hope I hope that it sells well enough to keep you busy for a couple of years. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> oh, I'm kept plenty busy. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for hanging out and talking with us about Alliance and. Thank you for sharing some insights, and we're really psyched about Black Alert. That was an unexpected uh, thrill for a bunch of Trekkies. So thank you so much, Josh. Oh, wait. My pleasure. Wait, we got a caller. Thanks for having me. We have a oh. caller on the line. Oh, caller, Josh. what? Ooh. Yes. Let me see. Good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talk. And what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Hello? Uh-oh. Did we lose him? Uh-oh. Hello, caller. Are you there? Hello? Oh, it's Hello? Ray. All right. It's well, Ray. yeah, we can, Ray. we can chat with Ray here in a minute. Yeah, do you want to uh, say goodbye to Josh here? Yeah. Hey, what's up, we'll get, How you doing, brother? We'll be right back to you, Ray. All right. Well, I'll thank you well. very much, Josh. We appreciate it. Thank Thanks you so much, Josh. That was really yep. fun. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. We're definitely going to have to have you back on when uh, Black Alert comes out for sure. Sounds good. All right. Thanks a lot, Josh. Have a great night. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. So, guys, you can go out and look for Star Trek Alliance Dominion War Campaign uh, Pack 2 at your friendly local game shop. So please go out and pick that up. I don't think you'll be disappointed at all. I know I really enjoyed a lot. So uh, I'm looking forward yeah, to getting talk- my hands on Juicy yeah, Klingon card. And we didn't talk about release date. It was originally scheduled to be released in February. Um, the last that I've seen is that it's been pushed to March. So I don't think we know for sure if that's a solid date, but as of right now, it's supposed to come out in March. Yeah, soon, 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 soon. Um, so, Ray, what's going on, buddy? Oh, we lost Ray. Oh, we lost Ray. Okay. Oh, no. Well, well hopefully you back. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens here. Um, yep. Uh, before we before we get into our Star Trek uh, birthdays and our fan shout-outs, I have uh, the Picard Season 3 teaser trailer, which uh, I think is going to be on TV during the football game on Sunday or something. Um, I think it was last season. Sunday. Oh, was it last Sunday? All right. Well, and I'm, there's a new, yeah. there's a whole new trailer coming out Sunday during the next game. Right? It's a, a longer, bigger trailer that they're saving well, till this Sunday. This is an old one. This is a short one. Uh, this is only a 30 second teaser trailer, but I wanted to play it for you guys anyway. So here it is, the Picard season three trailer 
from last week's AFC playoff game, last Sunday, I believe. There is something coming. Old friends and allies standing together again, reuniting to accomplish a shared mission and defeat an adversary unlike any other. We will have vengeance. An opponent wielding great power, determined to disrupt everything. The time to resist. Knowing your destiny must not be denied, because this decides everything. This is the end, my friend. Star Trek Picard, the final season, streams on February 16th. Wow. Wow, I'm just getting psyched for this. So I wanted to play that for you guys, and we'll have the full trailer when it comes out next week all right guys every week we do a fan shout out and if you want to have your name mentioned on a future fan shout out head over to our facebook page you can link to that from trucktalking.com or you can go to facebook and find truck talking and beyond at the top of the page you will see the live long and prosper and just drop us a line and tell us where you're listening from if you see a heart next to your name from yours truly uncle jim you want to tune in because your name will be featured in a future Fan shout out, and the whole world will know that you're not only a Star Trek fan, but you're a supporter of this awesome podcast, Trek Talking. And Eric, you want to get us started with our fan shout outs? I absolutely do. We're going to go just uh, just south uh, of here by uh, three or 4,000 miles and say hello to top fan Gelsier Costa Rica. That's what they say their name is. Luckily, they are in San Jose, Costa Rica as well. So, Gelsier, thank you so much for saying hello to us and saying pure life. Ooh, I want to know more about that. I'm going to be Googling that later. Pure life to you as well, Gelsier. Happy, or not happy birthday. <laughs> thank you so much for getting a hold of us on our Facebook page. We really appreciate it. We're also saying hello this week to Eddie Hendricks, who's saying hello to us from Breda in the Netherlands. Eddie, thank you so much for saying hello. We're also saying hello this week to Jens Noneki from Hamburg, Germany. Oh, I can't wait to go to Hamburg. It's one of those places I want to go. Jens, thank you so much for giving us a little shout-out from the center of Europe. And we're also saying hello this week to Katie Darby, who is saying hello to us from just across the pond in Yorkshire, Great Britain. Thanks, Katie. Kapla to you. Charles, who would you like to say hello to? Uh, let's start off with top fan Eleni. Nowicki from Oakland Park, Michigan. Michael L. Pittman from Alberta, Canada. Mark Jacobs from South Carolina. And top fan Michael Haney from Kentucky. David, who's on your list? Well, I'd like to say hello to top fan Lonnie Wright from Born in Odessa, Texas, and currently living in Dallas, Texas. Uh, Next on the list is Kimberly Brazy. I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, from Michigan. Uh, Jeff Yates from San Antonio, Texas. Uh, Last on my list is top fan Mark Hall from Moose Lake, Minnesota, United States. Paul, who's on your list? All right. Well, we've got all kinds of folks on this globe, all kinds of fans giving always an international flavor to the Star Trek community. First of all, I'd like to say a huge kapla to Giotta Persis 
who is reaching out to us from Thessaloniki, Greece, home of the famous White Tower of Thessaloniki, a tremendous artifact. So thank you so much. The Cradle of Civilization, Giota. It's great to hear from you. Moving back over a little bit uh, off the compass, we move over to Roland Zeh in uh, Niedersachsen, Germany, uh, that we have there. Uh, fantastic place to be, Roland. Thank you for reaching out to us. It's great to hear that there are fans all over the place. Uh, cruising across the Atlantic, let's go to Brazil. Let's go to Fortaleza. It's, uh, I believe, one of the capitals of the northeastern Brazilian states there in Ceara on the coast. And uh, we're delighted to be hearing from Rebecca Fontes in Fortaleza. So thank you so much and uh, live long and prosper, my friend. And finally for me, uh, huge greetings and thank you for listening to Vincent Blancheneau in uh, the town of Brest, France. No cracks, Earth people. Uh, again, it's a port city in Brittany in northwest France. So uh, Brest, France, and it is wonderful to hear from Vincent and all of these other fans. Thanks for being uh, aficionados of Star Trek, and thanks for keeping your heart with Trek Talking. Jim, back over to you. Well, we want to say kapla, and thank you to Chris Kenny, who's listening to us in the great state of Maine, which obviously, for those of you who don't know, that's where Stephen King is from, and of course, that's where all of his novels take place, oddly enough. So uh, thank you for listening to Chris Kenny in the great state of Maine. We want to say live long and prosper to top fan Danny LaPlante from Bellington, Wa- Bellingham, Washington. And we want to say kapla to top fan Don Neckis, who's listening to us in Niles, Michigan. And last, but definitely not least, we want to say kapla to Peter Finbau, who's listening to us in Wakefield, England. And that wraps up. Our fan shout-outs, again, if you'd like to hear your name mentioned on a future fan shout-out, head over to our Facebook page and drop us a line. And now it's time for our Star Trek birthdays. Was not a song. All right, guys, we always start off our Star Trek birthdays by remembering those members of our Star Trek family who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, Jim, this week we are going to be remembering six members of our Star Trek community who have gone before us who would have had birthdays this week. Uh, our very first remembrance goes out to actor Gino Silva. Uh, who we lost back in 2020, who played the Romulan Senator Vrax in the fourth uh, season Star Trek Enterprise episodes United and the Anar, two very excellent episodes. And uh, that's where we first learned about the Anar. And then, of course, we get Hemmer later on. Uh, Gino Silva, great Romulan in that episode. Uh, he's also known as Carlos the Barge Captain in The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Uh, and he was also in Scarface. He played the skull, firing the very last shot in the final shootout of that movie. Um, was in a couple of other movies, but uh, most notably, probably A Man Apart and 1979's movie 1941. Uh, two very excellent films. So Gina Silva, 
birthday January 20th, gone before us, lost uh, back in 2020. Happy birthday, Gino. Happy birthday as well to Seymour Castle, who played Lieutenant Commander Hester Delt in the TNG episode The Child. Uh, Castle was nominated uh, earlier in his career for an Academy Award for his supporting role in the 1968 film Faces, uh, who was direct, uh, which was directed by his friend John Casavetas, uh, famous director uh, right there. And I have not seen Faces, but uh, now I kind of want to check it out because Academy Award uh, performances are not a dime a dozen. Uh, he also appeared in several other films by that friend of his. Uh, and then kind of in the 70s, did some other things, uh, actually crossed over with James Doohan at, at one point, uh, which was pretty cool in some Westerns from that era. And in 1990, I remember actually seeing him uh, as Sam Ketchum in the film Dick Tracy. I just really dug that movie when it first came out and uh, made that connection uh, eventually uh, to Star Trek later. I didn't notice it at the time, but uh, just eventually noticed that, that that was the same actor. And a very interesting little trivia thing about Seymour Joseph Castle. Um, Castle was actually responsible for giving his young friend Saul Hudson a famous nickname. Does the name Saul Hudson ring a bell to anybody? 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 Maybe if Better I call say Saul. maybe if I say that the nickname was Slash, does that ring a bell at all uh, for anybody? So Seymour Joseph Castle was good friends with Saul Hudson and actually gave him the name the nickname Slash because he said that Hudson would slash addresses as a kid. Uh, meaning that he moved around a lot and just kind of was like ADHD and couldn't stop moving. And if you do not know who Slash is, then you are not a fan of game, of rock bands such as Guns N' Roses and Velvet Revolver and those sorts of bands. So cool crossover of Seymour Joseph Castle with not only Star Trek, but the rock and roll world. Happy birthday, Seymour Castle. Happy birthday as well to Richard Evans, who played Isak in the TOS episode Patterns of Force. Uh, another one of those kind of classic episodes as far as I'm concerned of the original series. Uh, that was in the second season, if I remember right. Richard began his acting career back in the late 50s. Uh, but if you saw a television show in the 60s and 70s, there's a good chance he was on it. Like guest stars galore. Um, he got, finally got kind of a, a regular gig in 1965, appearing in 26 episodes of a popular soap opera called Peyton Place. There's a character <laughs> named Paul Hanley, uh, but mostly his jam was guest starring in places. Uh, and his, uh, his last sort of acting stuff that he did was back uh, in the mid-90s. Um, he did later on in 2007 write, direct, and do a little bit of acting in an independent film called Shadow of Rain. Uh, so Richard Evans just lost a couple of years ago in 2021. Happy birthday, Richard. Happy birthday as well to actor John McLeam, who played Fento in the TNG episode, Who Watches the Watchers? I love that episode. It's so good. It's awesome so like, episode. One of the greatest. <laughs> it's like the Federation's really creepy in that episode. <laughs> um so, you know, Fento being one of the uh, one of the aliens who was there uh, helping out the Federation do what they were doing, uh, spying, uh, etc. Uh, McLeam also appeared in a number of films and television series uh, back in the day, including Dempsey and Walk Like a Man. 
but more interestingly, I think, are some of the things these guys did that were not acting. He was an intelligence officer in the United States Navy during World War II and was actually awarded a Bronze Star for his service at that time, which I think is pretty cool. And John McLean was originally born John Williams, and he changed his name because there were simply too many actors at the time uh, in America trying to make their way named John Williams. And now the John Williams that we all think of, of course, is the composer. So <laughs> just a very interesting little uh, tidbit of trivia there for you. Um, and John McLean was also very well known as barring a startling resemblance to George Mitchell, another very famous actor. Even their voices sounded alike. So sometimes when you're watching George Mitchell, you might think it's John. And sometimes when you see John, it might be George. So make sure you know who you're talking about. John McLean, birthday, January 24th, just a couple days ago. Uh, we do miss you, brother. Take care uh, and happy birthday. Uh, two more remembrances for us today. Uh, the next is Gregory Sierra. Uh, yeah. Lost in 2021. Uh, this man, also a Titan. I know that Paul wants to give us a little knowledge on this. Gregory Sierra in Star Trek played Entech in the DS9 episode Second Skin. That's a third season episode. Um, here's what I know about him. I know that he was uh, on Barney Miller, uh, right, uh, for like three, two or three years. Chano Amangwale, is that how you pronounce his name? Uh, that uh, sounds right to me, man. I'm, I'm pretty a, sure that's a detective it. sergeant uh, on that show, on Barney Miller. I know he was on Sanford and Sons as a Puerto Rican neighbor, Julio Fuentes. I know that he was on Soap as the anti-communist revolutionary Carlos El Perco Valdez. And I know that he was a regular on Miami Vice for a while until he asked to be written out of the series. And that was all I could find on that. So <laughs> interesting little tidbit. He's like, I'm out of here, man. This is BS. Write me out of this I, thing. <laughs> and I know that he did Mission Impossible. He crossed over with both Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner on that show, uh, as did many people. And I, I'm thinking Paul may be chomping at the bit to tell us a little something about um, lower primates, higher primates, <laughs> and Gregory Sierra. Uh, he was, of course, in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. In 1970, um, and Towering Inferno. I mean, like this guy's all over the place. Uh, yeah, Paul, what do you? What do he's you awesome. Yeah, he's, he's uh, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of this guy. He's done a lot of great stuff. You mentioned Towering Inferno, uh, but he's done a lot of great stuff. I mean, very often he will be uh, drawn to like genre work or crime work or urban storytelling work. Um, big uh, type of city stories like Towering Inferno. Uh, he was in a really cool movie called Deep Cover. I don't know if you've ever seen that before, but that's a really awesome crime picture. He uh, has actually worked with John Carpenter, okay, in John Carpenter's Vampires. Uh, I think 1998, I want to say. Uh, he played uh, Father Giovanni in, in that picture there, which is really cool. Fun, pulpy take on uh, the vampire genre. Um, we mentioned already things like The X-Files. He's been on that. Ray Bradbury Theater. Um, uh, just tons and tons of cool uh, genre work and a lot of good crime work. He's been on stuff like uh, Magnum P.I. back in the day, Airwolf, uh, Miami Vice, you already mentioned, uh, uh, the Blue Thunder TV series. I mean, this is a cat who's just Hill Street Blues. He's always working, always working. And uh, I'm pretty sure Barney Miller was like the first thing uh, I ever saw 
uh, him in. But uh, like a lot of really great actors, uh, Gregory Sierra, he started off working with the uh, New York Shakespeare Festival and uh-huh. uh, the National Shakespeare Company. And among his uh, many infamous parts that he's known for is uh, his turn as Macbeth in the New York Shakespeare Festival. So um, really a tremendous, uh, great actor. I recently watched that Deep Space Nine episode of his, and it's always a mark. Uh, You see this with the Cardassians um, a lot, right? Where somebody is just practically, you know, uh, like got tile grout over their face, right? They're wearing so much makeup. Right. And to push through that and still deliver a compelling performance underneath all that stuff is just not an easy thing to do. And uh, Gregory Sierra just did it in, you know, uh, to an absurd degree, a really talented actor. Um, check out some of his older movies and TV appearances. He's a, he's a great, great guy. So uh, happy birthday to you, sir, wherever you may be. Happy birthday. Just yesterday, Gregory Sierra. And our final remembrance this week goes out to uh, none less than one of the big three, uh, Jackson DeForest Kelly. Yes, first name was Jackson, but we all know him as DeForest, uh, who played Bones, Bones McCoy on the original series. Uh, He was on the original series. He, of course, voiced himself uh, on the animated series later on, uh, went on to do the original six movies, uh, and then uh, was fortunate enough to appear as a 137-year-old Bones <laughs> in the Next Generation <laughs> first season episode encounter at Farpoint. And interesting thing that, uh, you know, a few months prior to his appearance on Encounter at Farpoint, he actually expressed some real skepticism about Next Generation in general. He said, it's a mystery to me what they are doing, he remarked. I assume Paramount thinks they can hold on to the Star Trek phenomena. There's no doubt we can't go on forever, so they're trying a way to keep it going, but there's only one Star Trek, and that's ours. So That's a wonderful, <laughs> uh, wonderful uh, impersonation, my friend. I, I feel like, uh, like Bones is right here in front of us. So I'm just saying that I think it's kind of funny that Bones uh, was a little skeptical and then appeared and then became, of course, iconic for appearing in Next Generation, uh, having followed up on all the stuff that he had already done. Um, there's, you know, there are entire books written about this man, so we can't go too deep into him without taking up the rest of the podcast. So I've just got a couple highlights here that I want to share with everybody. Some things that they may or may not know about him. Um DeForest Kelly was actually born, uh, you know, in 1920, right before the Great Depression, and he always wanted to be a doctor, but was kind of forced not to be by the Great Depression back then. Um, and then during the Second World War, later on, uh, he served in the United States Arms for Armed Forces a, in a non-fighting capacity from March 1943 onward. Uh, and then he was actually assigned to a, a arm of the military there called the First Motion Picture Unit, who was responsible for the production of propaganda and training films. And it was actually his military connection through First Motion Picture Unit that would eventually get him connected with Paramount Pictures and get him a spot uh, in his first motion picture, Fear in the Night, in 1947. 
Um, that very same year, he co-starred uh, as a singer with legendary entertainers like Bob Hope and Bing Crosby in the musical comedy Variety Girl. Uh, and so this man had a voice and could dance. And of course, prior to Star Trek, he was on all kinds of uh, westerns and things. You, you would see his face popping up from time to time uh, on Bonanza or Gunsmoke or any of those other shows. And in 1964, when Gene Roddenberry was starting to contemplate doing Star Trek, um, uh, on his list of actors for the role of the ship's doctor, uh, Kelly was on the top of Gene Roddenberry's list. But director Robert Butler suggested that veteran actor John Hoyt actually be given the role of the doctor instead. So, of course, that's why in the cage we have a different doctor um, bringing martinis to our, our captain, <laughs> Captain Jeffrey Hunter. There you go, Pike at the time. Um, this same year, uh, or uh, yeah, Roddenberry wanted Kelly to replace Hoyt for a second Star Trek pilot, which we all know about, called Where No One Has Gone Before. However, he was again overruled by the director, who at that time was James Goldstone, who wanted Paul Fix for the role. And of course, it wasn't until 1966 that Roddenberry would actually get to cast DeForest Kelly as the new chief surgeon, Leonard McCoy, for the regular series, uh, we first see him in the Corbomite Maneuver. Um, so you always think of him as always being there from the beginning, but of course he wasn't, and Roddenberry wanted him there, but he was denied twice. Um, so interesting little set of trivia there. What more can you say about DeForest Kelly? I mean, he just brought a real magic to that role. Right, guys? Oh, completely. I My mean, name is Rick Foy. Iconic, dude. I'm a doctor. There's no question about it. What am I, a doctor or a moon shuttle conductor? I jumped every time a light came on around here. I'd end up talking to myself. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. You're a healer. There's a patient. That's an order. I'm a surgeon, not a psychiatrist. Look, I'm a doctor, not an escalator. Spock, give me a hand. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not an engineer. No, you're an engineer. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. You keep saying that. Are you a doctor, aren't you? I don't know. Wow. There you go. <laughs> what a string of DeForest Kelly quotes. I love it. That one's always fun to hear again, so... Happy birthday and lots and lots of memories and remembrances going out to DeForest Kelly. His birthday, January 20th, 1920. Happy birthday and remembrances going out to him. And now I am just going to swing that birthday candle blazing as it is now over to Charles, who's going to celebrate some of the living with us. All right. Thank you. <clears throat> Let's start off with Ian Nooney who portrayed young, the young version of Elnar in Picard's episode, Absolute, Absolute Candor. <clears throat> Ian is a very young actor. He's only got about six roles so far, but he's working his way through Hollywood. <clears throat> Dick Sco Scooter played Lieutenant Painter in TOS episode, This Side of Paradise. He played this role in one movie, and that was his career in Hollywood. Catherine Le Leigh Scott played Nura in TNG's episode, Who Watches the Watchers? 
Gee, I think we've heard about that episode this this week. Mm-hmm. Famous but for Dark Shadows, too. But, uh, okay, thank you for reading my script, Paul. But <laughs> is better known as Maggie Evans from several versions of Dark Shadows. She was in the the early version, the current version, the remake. Quite a bit of work there. Emily Blanks played Yeoman Tony Barrows in the TOS episode Shore Leave. Did her acting in quite a few many different series from 66 to 86. Now my next two that Jim gave me are some interesting ones. Amok Byron appears Ensign Paul Hickman in TNG's episode Identity Crisis and Ian Andrew Troy in the episode Dark Page. But more interesting, he's not only an actor, but he's a singer and musician. He performed the song Down the Valley. In one of the TNG episodes, I can't figure out which one, but he did the song. He did the song for that, and is a singer in the movie Star Trek Beyond. He's got some interesting credits to him. He's multilingual in there. I don't know if he's a dancer, but he's got the rest of the parts in there. And then Philip Lamar voices Alonzo Friedman in Star Trek Lower Decks. Started back in 1984 in the animated series Mr. T. Has appeared in the Book of Boba Fett, Star Wars Bad Batch, and a lot of other lists of over 503 different roles and going. He's in a little bit of everything. Animated shows. He's got so much in there. So, Paul, who's on your list? Oh, all kinds of interesting folks this week, Charles. First of all, it's happy birthday. Happy birthday going out to Rain Wilson, right? Who we think of very often as being Dwight on The Office. And uh, a pretty cool cult comic book movie called Super. <laughs> you have to check that out. It's a great movie. It's pretty it's pretty funny stuff. Um, really, truly a good cult movie. But uh, we're uh, acknowledging him for his uh, reinvigorated portrayal of Harcourt Fenton Mudd in Discovery episodes Choose Your Pain and Magic to Make the Saintest Mango Mat. Uh, he also uh, played the character and his android replicas in the Star Trek Short Treks episode The Escape Artist, which I believe Rain Wilson also directed. So... Uh, usually when somebody tips their hand in the directing universe of Star Trek, they tend to stick around for a while. Isn't that right, Jonathan Brakes? So uh, we may be seeing more of Rain Wilson in the future. Uh, who knows? Harry Mudd may resurface again, or we may see some more directing from Rain Wilson. Either way, it's great to have you in the Star Trek universe, sir. Happy birthday. Happy birthday also goes out to actress Olivia Jane D'Abo who played uh, Amanda Rogers in the next-gen episode, True Q, one of those great classic True Q episodes, right? And a lot of times, Olivia Diabo uh, gets kind of confused with her first cousin, Maryam Diabo, right? Because that same last name. Uh, and it's Maryam that was the Bond girl in the Living Daylights back in the day. 
So uh, not the same actress. They're related slightly, uh, but uh, just to keep in mind here, Olivia Jane Dabo, different person. So I'm just clearing that up, but definitely got to, you know, do a lot of fun stuff with Q and the, on the Enterprise D there. Um, I really like this actor a lot, um, and I had never seen him before until this episode, but I'm always talking about how much I love the original series, right? And uh, we are honoring here, because he's having a birthday sometime, wherever you are, sir, the great Lou Antonio, okay? Lou Antonio is uh, famous for being in that classic I mean, you want to talk about an episode of Star Trek that casts mm-hmm. a long shadow. Yeah. Let that be your last battlefield, okay, yeah. where he is, uh, of, the, of the two people who are half white on one side and black on the other side, right? Uh, Lou Antonio played Loki, who is the one who's being chased, right? The one who's being pursued by uh, Riddler actor Frank Gorshin, right? And back and forth. And people are always like, you know, we hear this so often on Tractor. Oh, when did Star Trek start getting all uh, woke and political and start getting uh, all, you know, way into like things like race and stuff? I just want to see starships and warp drive and all those things. I don't want to see like social things and society and whatnot. Well, folks, how about go back to 1969 and watch some Star Trek? Because Star Trek has always been doing stuff like that. And I can think of no other episode that did it more profoundly in a way that really uh, got everyone's attention in such a unique and enduring way, uh, partially because of Lou Antonio's work. It really brought tremendous empathy and pathos to that character and, and strength as well. It's, it's a phenomenal uh, role. Um, also famous uh, for being the legendary movie Cool Hand Luke from director Stuart Rosenberg. Uh, the Paul Newman picture. I'm hoping folks have seen Cool Hand Luke, but you oh, never yeah. know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now and then somebody doesn't know what that is. <laughs> that's like, yeah, no. I, that, I think, yeah, that's one of those. It, it's safe bet, but you never know, right? Yeah, I, um, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I I can't remember what the role was, but I remember reading that uh, Lou Antonio was up for a role in The Godfather, and I don't oh. think he got it. You know, I'd be really curious to, to do a little bit more digging and find out which one it was. But this is a guy who worked all ton right i think he might be retired now but um uh csi the west wing fugitive felicity chicago hope i mean a ton boston legal uh a ton a ton of stuff uh chicago hope uh just all over the place but if for me uh i'm always gonna go back i'm always gonna think of loci because of that episode so um i think one of the top movies uh, top episodes ever that folks will uh, think of uh, when they think of Star Trek so because of that enduring role so pretty amazing cool stuff happy birthday Lou Antonio you're really cool sir and happy birthday goes out also to David Diggs uh, who uh, voices Andorian commander Ty Sess on Star Trek Prodigy uh, David Diggs does a lot of work as well interesting name here folks but I think you may have heard of this particular actor because this actor Works quite a bit and gets a lot of uh, a lot of work. I'm talking about the actor named Deep Roy, which is a pretty cool name. <laughs> right? Super cool I name. So. I love it. But um, we know uh, Deep Roy for playing the role of Keenser in uh, the 2009 boot of Star Trek, as Star Trek Into Darkness and Star Trek Beyond. Um, Scotty's little engineer friend, if you will. 
But Deep Roy is from Kenya. He's done a ton of work. Uh, you will know him from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where he's pretty much every Oompa Loompa that there is. <laughs> right. I don't think no, Paul, not pretty much almost everyone. He was every Oompa Loompa. <laughs> <laughs> right. Completely, completely. And uh, and uh, this is a great. This is going way back to the back of the sock drawer. But he's also got a role uh, in the movie that has gotten so much more rediscovery in the last couple of years, uh, The Never-Ending Story. Um, Deep Roy was in that as well. So uh, a lot of work going on for this individual. Don't forget, he was in Flash. Ah, uh, yep. he played Fellini. Oh, and right, the Flash in- Gordon picture. Yeah, he played. Yep. He was in Flash Gordon. Yep. And he was, Excellent. And he was in seven episodes of Doctor Who as well. He crossed over into the Hoovers. Oh, man, Ooh. there you go. So uh, I, I think it's worth safe to say that if uh, Deep Roy uh, is at a convention, his pen's going to be busy because he's appealing to a lot of different people from a lot of different parts of genre land, right, who he's been in a ton of stuff. So always fun to see people like that who have not just done one, piece of franchise material but several and uh are super super popular and lastly for me um uh happy birthday goes out to actress saia three different actresses who played uh tora zayal who's tora zayal well gull ducat's daughter man why spoiler appearing alert. <laughs> i know well sorry wait wait wait. it I, gets better than that Gold you got a 20 year shelf life on daughter. those things <laughs> say it again man say it again I said, I said, Goldicott's half Bajoran daughter. Oh yeah, there's stuff going on there. Goldicott, you're just, you're a scamp, Goldicott. That's why you're my favorite Cardassian ever. <laughs> so I just love that guy. Uh, but uh, appeared in, of course, Deep Space Nine episodes. Indiscretion. <clears throat> Perhaps that's maybe what Eric is referring to with that title. And Return to Grace. So uh, all the way down, uh, cast members, you're all part of the Star Trek universe. You're all having a birthday. You're all starting the new year with a birthday, which is a pretty exciting thing. So our wish to you on Trek Talking is that you all have spectacular years. uh, And may you get lots of work or lots of satisfaction, whatever it is that you seek in your careers going forward. And with that, I'll take that flaming dilithium birthday candle and pass it back over to Jim. Yeah, I've got a few, not a lot, but a few, but I do have a really good one. We want to say happy birthday to Kaylee Harwood, who played Lieutenant Parker in Strange New Worlds episodes, Momenti Mori. And that was a great episode. If you haven't seen it, go and check it out. We want to say happy birthday to Sasha Strieger, who appeared as the holographic representation of Zora in Star Trek Short Treks episode Calypso, one of the best. The best. Uh, absolutely. It still softens my check heart it out. when I think about it. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, go and check it out. I'm not sure how they're going to fit that into, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But, um, yeah, a lot of fun there. We also want to say happy birthday to Mia Kirshner, who portrayed Amanda Grayson in Star Trek Discovery, a great portrayal of a younger version of uh, – Amanda, I might add. We also want to say happy birthday to Richard Poe, who portrayed Golovec in Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and Star Trek Voyager. He played the same uh, Cardassian character on all three 
series, which is really, really cool when you think about it. We also want to say uh, happy birthday to Tracy Minendorf, who was the second actress to play Tora Ziel, and she appeared in the DS9 episode for The Cause. So we have two actresses to play the same character that were born in the same week. How odd is that, huh? Pretty cool. And for this next one, I've got to play the birthday song. Here we go. With another mouth to feed Seems that everywhere you look today There's misery and greed I guess you know the earth Is going to crash into the sun But that's no reason Why we shouldn't have a little fun So if you think it's scary If it's more than you can take Just blow out the candles And have a piece of cake Happy birthday Happy birthday to you Happy birthday And if you've listened to the podcast in the past, you know that we reserve that song for very special people, very close friends of the podcast. Unless you listened last week when these giant snowflakes were falling and that song <laughs> kept playing by the face. It was pretty funny. Pretty funny how many songs got played incorrectly. Yeah. It, was, it was hilarious. <laughs> last week was strange, but this is a live podcast, so... That happens, but under normal circumstances, we only play that song for very special people who are very good friends and very close to the podcast, and that definitely goes out for this next uh, birthday. Um, I, I, I ran into this person at a convention in Albany, and it was uh, I went to actually meet Robert England, and she was sitting at the table next to him, and my wife and daughter went over and talked to her. And then they came and tracked me down and said, hey, we found this woman that, that would be great on your podcast. And I went over and talked to her. And not only was she great on our podcast, but uh, her and I actually did a podcast right here um, every Sunday night called Stunt Trek. And we did it for a year. So you guys can go back on our archives and you can check out Stunt Treks. Um, she was a stunt woman, actress, and stunt coordinator who worked between 1995 and 2001 as a regular stunt performer on Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Star Trek Voyager. And uh, she was a regular stunt double for Bolana Taurus actress Roxanne Dawson. Uh, she even got to wear one of uh, Bolana Taurus's old wigs. She also uh, played um, um, uh, Minya. In uh, Deep Space Nine, I, I believe that was Garrick's mother. At least I think they alluded to that. I don't think they ever said it in the episode. But I got the impression that Mila was Garrick's mother. And uh, when the Cardassians come in and blow up the house and she dies and falls down the stairs, um, that is none other than the one, the only, Leslie Hoffman. I've known her for about four years now. She's absolutely awesome, and I just I can't say enough good things about Leslie. So happy birthday to the one and only Leslie Hoffman. And you can head over 
to the Leslie Hoffman Appreciation Organization Facebook page, and you can wish Leslie a happy birthday yourself. Usually, she'll get right back to you relatively quick. So happy birthday to Leslie Hoffman. Anybody want to say anything about Leslie before we move on? Well, I'll just say that uh, I really enjoyed – yeah, sorry, Charles. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say I, I didn't talk to Leslie uh, a ton, but I certainly did enough podcasts with her to get some great stories out of her. And I, I think what I'll just say is I love the joy that she has when she talks about all the cool roles she's gotten to do. And she's done a lot. And when you get her going – man, does she have stories to tell. So I just really do appreciate her, and I'm wishing her a super happy birthday. And I'll just say that officially, canon-wise, Mia isn't Garrick's, but yeah, she absolutely is. In fact, in the novel A Stitch in Time, uh, which is a great Garrick novel, that's where they actually say that she for sure is. Not a canon source, but I think we're pretty much there. I, I, I got the impression from the episode that she might have yeah. been. They didn't say it, but I thought so. Well, I, I, actually got, I actually got to host her Star Trek Las Vegas convention that Jim couldn't make. So I got a lot of stories there and then the stories from the podcast. And Jim, don't forget, where's your hall pass? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, uh, if you guys are horror fans, there's a, a little movie you might have heard of called A Nightmare on Elm Street. And uh, Leslie actually has a role in that movie where you actually get to see Leslie face and all. She's not dressed up as a Cardassian, and uh, she's not dressed up as uh, Bellana Torres. She actually is herself. And the scene is where Nancy's running down the hallway after she has a nightmare in class and she bumps into uh, Freddy Krueger and only it's not actually Freddy Krueger. Um, it's Leslie Hoffman. And guess what? I happen to have the clip right here and uh, I'll play it for you. And I love to play that clip anytime I get a chance to. And uh, Leslie actually got to wear the, the actual Freddy Krueger glove, the real one that Robert Englund wore, and the actual sweater that he wore and, in that clip. In fact, and today, there's, an interesting, there's an interesting story but, in that sweater, Jim, because that actual sweater was lost. And they made a new sweater for the second movie, and they changed the color scheme. So she's the right. only one that gets to wear that specific sweater from season from the first movie. Interesting. Yep. And in that scene I just played for you guys, Leslie also holds a distinctive place in the in the canon of Nightmare on Elm Street because she's the only other person to play Freddy Krueger 
other than Robert Englund, up to the remakes, uh, up to that point. Because when she runs into, when, when she gets bumped into, she actually is playing Freddie. And that's why the voice changes from hers to Robert's, uh, you know, halfway through that scene. Yep. So, yeah. So happy birthday to Leslie Hoffman. And uh, I guess that wraps up our regular podcast. Uh, but we are going to talk a little bit about a tackling here. There are two new faction packs out, neither of the two that I have, unfortunately. Um, but Eric is well-versed in them, and Eric is going to touch on some of the highlights of those for us. And we've got about 15 minutes, so I, I think we can squeeze in the highlights of the packs, right? Sure, yeah, we can we can sort of blaze through them. There's definitely some really amazing stuff uh, in these packs. Uh, so just to remind everybody, since it's been so long since we talked about Star Trek Attack Wing, these two items we're talking about tonight are faction packs. And a faction pack is a box that gives you four ships and a bunch of tokens, and in one case here at least some bonus content. And it's about 40 bucks, so the, the kind of cost per ship ratio is lower than you would have paid back in the day when you were paying $15 per uh, single upgrade pack. And so it's a pretty good way to add stuff to your fleet. Uh, we have two very cool packs that came out in November of 2022 that we're going to blaze through tonight. One is called Secrets of the Tal Shiar, and it is a Romulan-based pack. And one is called Ships of the Line, and it's a Federation-based pack. And so I kind of wanted to start with Ships of the Line. And for me, here are some of the most amazing highlights about um, these packs in general and about this pack specifically. So back in the day uh, when they first invented the faction pack, there's four ships, four models in the box. How many ship cards do you get? You get four. Now, in the Federation Ships of the Line pack, you get eight unique ships. You get two of the Prometheus class. You get two of the Akira class. You get two of the Sovereign class. And you get two of the Saber class. And those are all unique ships. If you flip those cards over, that's right, on their backsides, you just flip the card right over, you've got generic versions of all those ships. So if you really want to be technical about it, this pack comes with eight unique ships and eight generic ships, which is pretty cool. That is a, that's 16 ships that you can build um, right out the gate uh, from this pack. This pack also introduced an interesting new type of card. Um, and uh, it's a, it's called, uh, it, David, I'm losing the name of it. This one in particular is called Federation Prototype, but what's the type of card called? It's a ship, Starship Construction Card. That's what it's called. Yeah. 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 So a Starship Construction Card is an entirely new type of card in the game. It does not take up a slot. It's got an icon in the corner that is a hook. And this one in particular only costs you one point, one SP. It's called Federation Prototype. And this one in particular, you equip to a ship that is a prototype ship. So anything that has, after USS, the actual name of the class of the ship. For, so, for example, on the Sovereign class, the USS Sovereign could run this. On the Sabre class, the USS Sabre could run this card. Um, it gives you some extra defense dice. It gives you some other cool stuff, uh, some slots. Cool new type of card. Um, this pack comes with three new admirals that you can flip over uh, who become captains on their other side. And then it comes with a fourth captain. We've got George Sanders. We've got Strickler. 
it's interesting they didn't give him his first name on the card. We've got Theodoric Patterson, and most hated, we have Elena Necheyev. <laughs> cool to have her finally in the game. Uh, I, we did not previously have a card for her, um, so nice to have her here. We've got three elite talents. We've got uh, five new crew cards. We've got one question mark card, which is the Doctor, the EMH Mark One, which is a, um, a reprint of an earlier card. You've got four tech upgrades, and you've got six weapons that come with this thing. Now, not only is it all those cards, but this pack in particular, the Ships of the Line pack, also comes with a campaign. So out of the box, you have a mission and campaign guide here that guides you through a competitive campaign that you can play over a series of games with a friend of yours. It's made for two players. Um, there are several missions in here, three missions, four missions uh, in the campaign. And you just kind of get to build your ship up and go against each other and have a little story attached to that. So I don't know. When it comes to this pack in particular, the Ships of the Line pack, it comes with a lot of content. We didn't talk yet about the models. The models have that metallic paint job that we saw uh, during the sort of like 50th anniversary era when uh, WizKids was putting out new ships. So the Sovereign, the Enterprise E, looks uh, amazing. It's got this beautiful metallic blue paint on it. Um, all the silver paints, I think, look really good. I, I'll be curious to get David's take on them, too. So the quality of the models, same sculpts we've seen in the past, but you get so many cards in this pack. And then you also get the campaign components to it. Um, we're not going to talk about too many specific cards, but before I pass this on to David, I will just say that my absolute favorite card in this pack, hands down, is something that the Federation has always needed. It's called Type 10 Phasers. This card fills actually two weapon upgrade slots. So you can only run it on a ship where you got two weapon upgrade slots. But what it does for three points, three points, is you get plus one attack dice, and you can re-roll up to two blanks. If the defending ship has no active shields, instead, convert those blanks to battle stations. So for three SP, this card gives you an enormous amount of flexibility, automatic re-rolls on those blanks. Now you don't have to run Picard 9 on every single ship so that you can get that free target lock, right? Right, David? <laughs> So, David, what uh, what are some of your favorite parts of this pack so far? Well, um, the models aren't as good. The plastic on them, for some reason, seems a little brittle. But um, the uh, overall pack, I believe, is really good. I'm really liking the Federation prototype uh, card where you can just stick that on a unique ship, and it's just like... Not only that, it gives you plus one defense, and it has the option to allow you to put any other type of slot on their crew, tech, or weapon. But, I mean, just the idea of being able to, like, do anything almost with it, it's almost like, it's, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of options that you can get with just that card. I'm, I'm liking that card more and more. And the re-roll, you know, being able to... Uh, that actually saved me on a couple of runs before with using that card. And I was able to survive. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, I, I, def I definitely like the Type 10 card, uh, Phaser Type. Uh, that one's really nice. Um, and, uh, yeah, 
I, I like this whole faction. I, I'm I'm a very big Federation player myself, and I, some of the cards in there is just like really nice. So I was really happy with it. Yeah, some of the cards that I know David has played the most against me since these packs came out are the USS Sovereign, uh, because that card has a sweet ability that if you have an Admiral equipped to that ship, you can do the Admiral's action for free every single turn. So you throw Who doesn't like Forest. Free? Yeah. <laughs> so you throw Maxwell Forest on there and forget about it, right? You're 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 turning all day long. And the other card that uh, David has used, I think, particularly uh, uh, effectively uh, against me, uh, I I guess in the past is uh, multi-vector assault mode. Um, the you'll remember that the Prometheus is the ship in Star Trek that splits into three different ships. And there was also there was an old Prometheus pack that came out years ago, but the multi-vector assault mode card on that was not very good. This one here is much, much better. We're still kind of figuring out how to use it, but it gives you that multiple attack thing um, that not too many other cards can do. So um, yeah. this, pack, this pack has a lot of really cool stuff. Oh, and to boot, if you're a Star Trek Online player, this pack also comes with a code oh, yeah. that gives you, let's see, captains can use this code, claim your free Elite Services Starter Pack plus one Tier 6 ship of your choice, Akira, Prometheus, Saber, or Sovereign. So uh, you get free stuff for Star Trek Online, too. So, yeah. Uh, that's I got. <laughs> so, Jim and Charles, did you guys have anything you wanted to say about this faction pack here? I know you haven't really had a yep. chance to play with it, but, yeah, Charles, what do you got? Uh, I just cracked it open with looking at cards. And, okay, jump right on in. That Starship Construction. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> For one point, gives you an extra slot, and then gives you abilities. I love this. I was looking at, at George Sanders. Yeah. And it's like, oh, move a free, soft, or straight one maneuver. But if you've got the prototype, then you can do a hard maneuver instead. It's like. That's some nice abilities. Some of the functions they add. I think I was looking at Jordy. Where it's like, okay, you can treat a revealed maneuver as green, increased by one. But if you happen to have construction in there, you can do both. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, why are you not putting construction on every ship in this pack? just to get some of these abilities. I thought interesting that Jordy LaForge has his picture, and yet we got a TOS picture. Yeah. And a shakedown <laughs> command, shakedown cruise. Yeah, there. it is kind of interesting that they, they sort of have cards from all over uh, the yeah. timeline. So this one is not necessarily targeting, you know, any specific timeline uh, because you're right. It, we've got movies, we've got, we've even got like Scotty from when he was on yep. TNG. Uh, so that's kind of like yep. the, the ultimate crossover right there. <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah. something I'm looking, something I'm looking forward to coming up probably next month is Nate wants to do a little event at our store. And I'm not sure if it's going to be just uh, Nate Terrence and I, if we got a couple of friends with me, we might throw in, 
but he wants to do a little attack wing mini event. And the requirements are you're only allowed to bring in the last four faction packs. And look at these cards. I'm kind of looking forward to that event. That is sounds like a fun event. I know in Portland here we ran an event where you could only use the cards from one of these faction packs. So you could either play Romulans or the Federation, and that was a that was a pretty fun event as well. So yeah, that's probably about what we're going to probably do is limit you to one of the boxes only. Absolutely. But I think well, there's going to be some fun Fed builds in that box. These cards are amazing. I can't can't recommend them enough. Forty bucks for all of this stuff. Um, we've got just a few minutes left, so let's see if we can't whip through the Romulan pack. This pack is called Secrets of the Tal Shiar, and uh, one of my favorite parts of this pack is the models. So yeah. whereas whereas the uh, Federation pack comes with the campaign and all that sort of stuff, and the models are okay. These models in the Romulan pack are amazing. They are made of translucent plastic uh, that has kind of a smoky uh, look to it, and they're painted with little sparkly stars. So when you put these on your space mat, your 3 by 3 space mat, they look cloaked, and they really do, particularly if you're running, like, black bases or that type of thing. They really kind of start to blend into the background, which I think is really fun as a Romulan player. But well, the only time you've ever gotten these type of ships were if you won one of the competitions at the I think convention, like World. Big, the convention big, exclusive pack was the yeah. one cloaked pack, and that was like you could get it at one convention, and the day after that convention, that pack was selling for you know two hundred dollars. Yes. <laughs> Why I've never gotten that set because that set was costing so much. That it's the, it was just worth so much to people that Yeah. It's literally the only thing in Attack Wing that I still don't own. But let's talk more about this pack. So uh, similar to the number of ships, you got eight ships in the Federation one. You do get six ships in this pack, which is pretty cool. One is a reprint of the Scimitar, which is particularly useful because the Scimitar was unavailable to a lot of people who didn't get it right when it first came out because it's such a great ship. So you get a new Scimitar in here. You get um, at least, you get one, excuse me, two Valdor-class ships, uh, Denatra's-style ship. Uh, both of which are very cool. You get uh, the Deridex ships, and you get a scout vessel, a Tal Shiar scout vessel. Um, we have a, a reprint in here that I think is particularly interesting. So you got seven captains. One of them, of course, is Shinzon. It's a brand new Shinzon with more talent slots and the ability to give your ship battle stations. There's also a reprint slash new print of Denatra. So it's the same Denatra that you know well and love that gives you that plus one attack dice for ships that are in range one. But now it adds the ability to that if those friendly ships are Valdor or Sovereign class, it also helps you convert a blank into a hit. So Denatra just got a little bit better, which I think is very cool. You have some Romulan Ale in here. You have four elite talents. You also have uh, a new type of card, which just came out uh, in the uh, Klingon pack not too long ago. Uh, a uh, ambassador card. So this comes with two ambassadors that give you a special ability at the beginning of the game. It comes with six crew cards, comes with five weapon cards, and it comes with five tech cards. Now, rather than having a campaign associated with it, 
this pack actually comes with two of kind of those old-style missions. Do you remember those missions that everything used yep. to come with that had the colored cards? We get two mm -hmm. new missions with this pack. So that huh. is a cool way to play as well. So uh, to me, great value in the way the models look. There are like 40, 40 cards in this pack. Uh, and I will tell you that I, I just have to give you one, right? I have to tell you what my favorite card is, and David's going to know what I'm going to say. It's the yeah. Romulan Cloaking Device. The Romulan Cloaking dun, Device dun, dun. is a two-point tech that adds a cloak <laughs> to your ship's action bar, and then this ship may use the one-bank or the two-bank maneuver template when doing a sensor echo. So now you're rolling up on somebody and you echo, but do you echo straight sideways? Nope. You use your bank template and you come at them from the flank side. Such a cool way to play. You throw that on the scimitar and forget about it. It's it's scary. So, yeah, I love this pack. I love some of the really cool Romulan stuff that you can do. Uh, and it definitely boosts the Romulan faction in general. Wouldn't you agree, David? Yeah, it's, it's definitely fun to play, um, especially when the ship, ships all look cloaked. It's kind of hard to see where they are, so it's like, uh-oh, <laughs> where did they go? <laughs> are you looking forward to this pack, Charles? I'm looking at a car, and it's like, okay, that is interesting. B4. Oh, Yeah. That yep. that looks like a mean car. It's like, okay, you don't want that going up against the Federation ship. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, then that's you right. also don't want that going up against the Enterprise. Nope. Because that is going to mess up anybody running the Enterprise. <laughs> and interesting that he is a Romulan slash... Uh, independent. Independent card. Yep, so you can run him without a faction penalty on an independent ship. Well, um, two great packs. They've only been out for a few months, guys. They're 40 bucks each. They come with all these ships and stuff. I'm positive that most local game stores are able to order these, even if they don't stock this stuff normally. Not every game store, but most game stores are able to order this Should stuff. Should be able to. If they, if they, yeah. if they have any... If they can get a hold of anything that's with kids, which hero clicks and such. Yep. Now, personally for me, you guys got November. We got ours last week, week before. The last okay. couple of weeks when we got our shipment in. But some of the mm. other shipments are coming through now. Nice. So these cards are available. Well, check them out and uh, and try and buy it from your local game store if you can. Right, Jim? Yeah, I'll still get them for you. <laughs> <laughs> My local game shop told me, go to Amazon. I'm not going to order those for you. Go figure. But hopefully, hopefully most people's local game shops won't be like that. Well, so. Okay, well, Jim, we need to find, Jim, a friendly local game store. We do. Not just a local game store. That's right. That's right. You know, got, <laughs> we have three game shops here in Rutland. None of them will get a tack wing for me, and none of them are interested in, in playing a tack wing at their shops. Go figure. Oof. If you are an attack wing fan um, please, and you're in the Portland, Oregon area, please make sure that you check out our Facebook page. We are called the Portland Star Trek Attack Wing Captains. You're welcome to join 
We have an active community here. We play at Guardian Games at 345 Southeast Taylor here in Portland. And we have the kind of relationship where I get to text our game store the day before we show up, and they have it all ready for us when we get there. So, uh, sorry, Jim. <laughs> I wish it was that way for uh, you, buddy. <laughs> okay, let me, let me jump in then. If you're ever interested in Vegas, look up War Room Games. We're out in Sunset up by the park. Come visit it and tell them you're looking for the attack wing players. We show up on Friday night and we're doing all kinds of gaming up there. Board gaming. We've done attack. They've done attack wing, fallout, all kinds of stuff. And we're always up for looking for finding something to play. So come look us up. Well, I guess we, we went a little bit over tonight, but that doesn't surprise me. I thought we might. Um, but at any rate, I want to say thank you so much to Josh Dirksen for um, hanging out with us, and I'm really intrigued about Black Alert, guys. I know. That was, that a, was such a great little drop there. That oh, was that awesome. was a teaser. Now, he <laughs> said it's a Star Trek Discovery-based board game. What he said? Yep. Like a a board game like Monopoly or like a no 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 well you have to no he the uh, we were just differentiating between video game and not video game so it is a not video game ah okay uh, okay <laughs> it's yeah yeah Jim, not Jim, Monopoly, not, <laughs> not the Monopoly think about the board games you see at your local game store yeah the one yeah. not the play. Game, but at the game <laughs> store. <laughs> Interesting. Very, very yes. interesting. I'm looking forward to that for I sure. I want more detail. I want yeah. detail. I wasn't even expecting that when that dropped. I was like, whoa, 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 freeze. That's back up. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. Thank you. Yeah. That was a shocker. Anyways, uh, we'd also like to say thank you so much to Paul for hanging out with us. I know we had to run, but thank you so much. And, of course, thank you to David for hanging out and truck talking with us. Thank you, David. Yeah, this has been fun. Thanks for having me. And, of course, thank you to our very own Charles for hanging out and truck talking with us. Thank you, Charles. Oh, thank you. It's been fun getting into Attack Wing. We had some interesting birthdays. And we got some future Star Trek. Looking yeah. forward to it. We squeezed it all in. And thank you so much to mm-hmm. Eric for hanging out and truck talking with us as well. Thank you, Eric. You bet. Great show, guys, and thanks for hanging out. That was fun. And uh, next week, same bat time, same bat channel, Michael Jan Friedman is going to be joining us. And if you don't know who that is, um, wow. Look him up. uh, Over 80 (laughs) 80 Star Trek novels to his name. He worked on the comic books. Um, He's done it all. So he's going to be with us. He's got a new project that he's working on. He's also going to be appearing at Trek Long Island, where I will be as well, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. So that'll be next Thursday, same bat time, same bat channel. So at any rate, I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying to everybody, please stay safe and be good to each other. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Let's see what's out there. Engage.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.